All right, well, welcome again and uh, to our uh, uh, series called Parenting on Point. And uh, what I love about this series, we really try to make all of them not just completely focused on the uh, topic, but also general enough that it applies to everybody. I think today is certainly one of those days. And so I want to welcome you, and, and I'm glad that you're here with us today, and I trust that you're having a, a great weekend. Um, you know, we live in a world today that you probably, every day if you watch the news, you know that our world is full of conflict and issues. In fact, we're told uh, over and over again that our country's divided about 50%, 50 50% um, politically and uh, even sometimes morally and a lot of issues today. Uh, but we see that conflict a lot, a lot of times in just everyday life. I mean, people are not kind to each other. Uh, they're not particularly helpful to each other. Uh, service is kind of a thing in the past, Right. People are not really joyful with life. People are not hopeful. Uh, they're not really patient with one another. And they're not very compassionate. They really aren't. I hate to paint a sad picture, but that's kind of what it is. And you know, today, especially after the, the COVID, that uh, we hear that counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists are doing a booming business. Uh, the book that they use or their Bible is called The Diagnostic and Statistically, Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And, uh, you know, uh, Eric talked a little bit last week about how our children today are struggling in mental health because of being out of school and being isolated and everything else. But, you know, all this explains why people get angry and why they suffer and why they hurt, why they hurt other people and how they deal with their particular pain. And, and then it gives treatments and disorders and ways to help people. And let me say there's definitely a place in our world for that type of help. However, there's something missing in that approach, and it leaves a glaring omission, and that is that most times it does not even mention the human soul. The soul is not dealt with. Instead, actions, thoughts, emotions, reactions, all those things are dealt with, right or wrong, but they don't deal with the human soul. And that's the problem, to be honest with you, with most non-Christian or secular counseling, is that it doesn't take into account the human soul, because the soul is so important because it addresses who we really are. So we need a better plan. We need a plan that includes the soul, dealing with the soul of a person. And the Bible addresses the needs of the soul. In fact, the Bible is God's diagnostic manual for the soul. And that's what we're kind of doing in this study. We're in a study now of Mark chapter 12, just a few verses there where Jesus said, first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you think about it, that really is the totality of a human being. And two weeks ago, when we began this series. We talked about starting with love, which is where the Bible says start. First of all, love, love the Lord your God. And then last week, we talked about loving emotionally. Eric did a great job loving emotionally with all of your heart, how I love your child, pour out in that way. And today, we're going to be talking about loving spiritually with all of your soul. And I'm excited about this because... Um, as I've written these messages, I have enjoyed this one more than any because I think it maybe hits the crux of things that we don't talk about specifically. Maybe it touches a point that you never thought about in your life or your children's life. So I'm kind of excited about this particular message. And we're going to look at this scripture, like we said, in the context of parenting, looking, first of all, at the perfect example of our Heavenly Father, how He loves us. If you think about it, He loves us in all of those ways, how in turn we are to love Him and then how we are to love our kids in these four specific areas, and in turn, loving them so that they can love God in these areas, and today, to love God with all of their soul. And let me just say this up front, I believe this with all my heart, that you are the guardian of your child's soul. 
You are the guardian of your child's soul. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but you as a parent entrusted with that child, you are a guardian of their soul. So when you look at a tiny baby, you need to realize that baby is a soul that God's entrusted into your hands. And when you think about those rowdy two, a second and third grade kid, that's a soul that God's put in your hands. And that difficult teenager, that is a soul that God's put in your hands. But even beyond that, that millennial grown-up kid, it's still a soul that you still have influence on. Let me go even further to say that when you look at your parents, that's still a soul. And we have to recognize them in that particular way. It's a, something that we don't always think about, a lot about. And you're not going to be able to love them, your children, or anybody else as you should until you are in a healthy, loving relationship with your heavenly father, soul to his soul. I think that's impactful, something I never dealt with a great deal. And many of us don't give any thought to our soul. We really don't. When the Bible speaks about the soul, it, it uses um, terms like the soul and the spirit interchangeably. And that's kind of the inner life that we have there. The Bible tells us that we're made of two parts. That is the outward body, what we see, what we recognize as the person. But the inner person, really who you are, is your soul. And that's who you are inside. That's, that's really the inward being. That's your mind and your will and your emotions, your whole being. Your body just reacts to what your soul tells it to do. And it responds to the soul. You are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. That's the most important part of you. We oftentimes think, man, if I could just get my outer world together, if I could just get my, my, uh, my uh, emotions or my health or whatever it might be, if I get that in order, then I would have peace inside. And the problem with that is that'll never happen in a corrupted world. And there, beyond us, there's too many things beyond our control that other people have uh, dictate. And even if we did get all those things in control, our inner world would still be in turmoil. Everything on the outside can come together, but if your soul is not well, then everything will fall apart. On the other hand, if your soul is healthy, you may not be perfect on the outside, but you find peace and all the, everything kind of comes together and forms around the soul. You know, beyond that, the soul is probably the most obvious way that we're made in the image of God. God is a soul. God is immaterial. God's invisible. God is spiritual. And God made you to have a soul so that you connect with him in a relationship. And while we see the body as the most visible part of a person, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart and soul. He looks inside of us. In fact, man did not truly become a living being until the point that God breathed into him the breath of life. If you read the scripture, you'll see that God made man from the dust of the earth and he was there in an inanimate body until God breathed into him the breath of life. God breathed his soul into him. And that was when he became a living being. So God is a soul and all of us as his descendants have a soul as well. And it's not just part of who we are, it's the essence of who we really are. And after the human body dies, when everything we see here is gone, the soul continues to live on eternally. That's how we know it's the most important part. It doesn't die. It never dies. Now, the world seems to focus more on the, the physical than it does on the spiritual. And if someone thinks about trying to get their life together, they normally think about their physical body and their actions. They think about their finances. They think about their career. They think about their health. 
You know, they might think about their physique, you know, trying to get all those things together. And in fact, people go to great expense and great extinct, extent to try to keep their body together. I mean, body healthy, proper food and exercise. But in so many cases, people ignore the needs of their soul. And we oftentimes don't think about that until, we, until everything else is gone. Many people don't even understand they have a soul uh, that lives forever. And without knowing and realizing that you have a soul, you don't have any hope. And if there isn't any hope, then you're going to, when you die, you cease to exist or you believe you will. And then your whole life is pointless and purposeless. But here's the great thing. The Bible tells us that we do have a soul and that you are made uniquely by God in his image. And you're designed to be in a relationship with him like a father and child. And your soul comes from God. It belongs to God. One day it's going to return to God. And if you're faithful to him, God will reward you on the other side of the grave. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back, and he will, your soul and your body will be rejoined, and you'll be resurrected in a resurrected body like Jesus whenever he was resurrected. And this promise gives us value. It gives us significance. It gives us hope and purpose for life. And then the end of the day, when all this is over and the world is gone, your soul is either going to be in heaven with our Father, the God who made us, or because of the life and rejection of him during your life, it's going to be with the devil in hell. And that's what the Bible teaches us. That's why the soul is so important. And what this means is that if you are a parent in this context, you are not just raising a child, you are raising a soul. And God has entrusted his special treasure with you. And let me also say that everything isn't always perfect when it comes to having a child, right? Isn't always perfect. The situation doesn't always start out best, but God doesn't make mistakes. So if you have a child, that's not a mistake. It's a gift that God's given to you. Timing may not have been the best for you. Decisions may not have been the best, but if you have a child, God's entrusted this soul to you. And not only do you want to raise that child up to know about the Lord you need to make sure that you raise them up so that their soul has a connection with God and that one day that soul is going to be in heaven with you. And if you don't have that hope, then, then I would start working on that for sure because there's nothing more heartbreaking than knowing that you're, you're not going to see your loved ones in heaven. You know, Jesus said this. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, there are, there are obviously rhetorical questions here. There is no gain. There is no profit if a person loses his soul. And there's nothing more valuable or equal in the world to the soul. doesn't matter how successful you are here. It doesn't gain you anything in the end because everything will be left behind except your soul. That's why it's so important. So let's think about this in the context of parenting. What does it profit a child if they get straight A's and their soul is not well with the Lord? What does it, it profit a child if they make the elite year-round sports team and get a full ride to college if their soul is not well with God? What does it profit a child if they are beautiful and popular, but their soul is not well with God? And I would suggest that those are all rhetorical questions as well, because the answer is nothing. It doesn't help them at all. And your child is not going to know that automatically. They're not going to know all of these things. They're they're kind of a blank slate. You have to program a lot into them, but you ought to know this and you need to parent with this in mind. And obviously we want our kids to do well in school, 
We want our kids to excel in sports, among friends, and in every area. We want them to be popular in the right way. But we need to be more concerned about their soul than we are about anything else in their lives. And that's where our energy, our thought, our investment, our time needs to go into our children. Now, now you guys know, most of you do, we have, we have four kids, and our kids are grown, and some of them even have, have kids. And now we're trying to be the parents on the outside that are not obvious in our guidance. You know, we're just subtle, you know, how grandparents try to do, and uh, asking those quest- leading questions that try to help them understand what they ought to do without telling them what they do, right? This is how we, we try to do it. And, uh, but our kids were a little once, obviously, and we, like most families whose kids are, are influenced by the world and pressured by the world, we struggle with balance. Uh, we struggle with balance in the area of sports. Our daughters um, were not that talented or gifted in sports, and they would acknowledge that. But our son was really gifted, in, especially in baseball. And we moved here when he was about 12, kind of in the middle of it, and he, he landed here, and he was pretty good. And like the first year we got here, he played ball, rec ball, and someone recognized that he had some talent, and so they invited him to be a part on a travel team. And we did that one year, only one year. It had nothing to do with his abilities. It had everything to do with how difficult that was to have a spiritual life. And if you know anything about that, imagine being a minister and trying to get your kid to all this stuff as well, especially on the weekends. And the reality is that many competitive youth sports pull families away from their church. I don't know if you wear that, but it's subtle, but I see it all the time. Uh, we struggle with that. I've seen parents who have driven their children from tournament to tournament, weekend after weekend, year after year. And then at some point later on, become very distraught when their child goes to college and leaves their faith behind. Have no idea why that happened, but the reality is for years the parents have been communicating subtly to their children that faith community, worship, and church life aren't as important as everything else. Nobody's going to say that out loud, but that's what it implies. Parents don't intend to communicate that, and that following Christ may be very important to them as parents. But regardless, they've sent a clear message to their children that their athletic schedule is more important than church community and in many ways more important than their soul and connection to God. I just know that's true, and I know that's painful. It hurts. I get it, but it's true. It really is. And very few parents will put forth the effort to provide spiritual opportunities for their kids if they do miss church. So you know what that means is that we have to learn to sacrifice some of the world's view of success to make sure that they're doing well inwardly. Most of our kids are not going to be professional athletes. And to be honest with you, if they are, their bodies are going to be so broken down, you would prefer that they didn't turn out to be that. They're going to enjoy sports, but they need to see that those things and other activities are on the side. They're not the focus and the most important thing in life. We need to make those sacrifices. Jesus says, what if it profit if we gain the whole world? Even if your child does become a professional athlete, but they don't know the Lord in the process. There is no gain in that. How a person does on the outside very rarely has anything to do how they're doing on the inside. It really is. There are people who seem to be doing great externally, but their souls are definitely not well. So parents, we need to be asking, are our children excelling in some physical area externally, but not doing so well spiritually? Or are their spiritual lives stronger than their physical lives? You know, I've seen people who um, 
physically didn't seem to be doing very well. Their bodies were broken, but inwardly their souls were so strong, so powerful. They had a joy in life that all of us could almost be envious of. And one of those people in the Bible was the Apostle Paul. Paul had some real physical health issues. He had what he called a thorn in the flesh of some sort. And he was oftentimes in prison. He suffered for his faith. Nobody could look at Paul's life and say, man, you're winning, buddy, because everything's going great for you. In fact, it seemed like everything was going horribly for him. But here's what he wrote. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know what he's saying? We don't focus on the moment and how well you're doing in life. What we focus on is the unseen, the future, the eternal. That's where Paul's focus in life was. And that's where our focus need to be as well as parents. We got to look way beyond this moment and what's going on in our kids' life and their, their popularity or success and say, how are they doing with God? What's the soul like? What's this child's soul like? You know, Jesus had a lot to say about the importance of the heart and the inner person. His greatest criticism was to the Pharisees who looked great on the, out, on the outside, but whose hearts were wicked inside. He saw their souls. He saw past that fake religion and holiness, and he saw who they really were. And this is what he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inward or within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We want to raise kids that are powerfully strong internally in the soul. And if they do well externally, that's great, but that's not the main focus. That's not what we spend our time and energy on. It's just a benefit of their giftedness, maybe. So let me ask you, in light of this, how is your soul? How are you feeling about your inner soul? Or are you focusing personally on the outer body? Because what happens is whatever is important to us becomes important to our children. And if we try to be that person who looks great on the outside, but inside we're falling apart, we're no more than these Pharisees, these hypocrites that Jesus spoke of. Most of the time when we talk about behavior, we think we focus on the outward body, dealing with actions and words. We think about obedience, disobedience. And those things are important. You know, God definitely has a plan for the way we live our lives and our actions, but sometimes we can even do the right things with the wrong heart. Go through all the right motions because it's expected of us, but the soul isn't growing, isn't moving. And all of the outer things really spring from the inner person and and the motives that we have. It all comes from within us. So we ought to be asking ourselves, am I healthy in my soul? Am I growing in my soul? And am I helping my children grow in their soul? So let me tell you three things that your soul needs, three things your soul desperately has to have. First of all, your soul, your child's soul has to have salvation. There has to be a relationship with God. You know, from the moment that we choose to sin, we are living in conflict with God. I mean, kids do little things wrong because they're just kids. But at some point, there's a deliberate, intentional disobedience to parent. There's a sin. We choose to sin. And, And when we do that, we're in conflict with God. And we may be um, physically alive on the outside, but spiritually we are dead because of our separation. 
Salvation means that we become spiritually alive. When our soul is awakened, that we submit, we believe, and we submit, and we're connected in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, without Jesus, we cannot have that connection. He is the only way to the Father. So your soul needs Jesus. It needs salvation because your soul is desperately wicked in of its own. Apart from Jesus, your body and your soul are destined toward death and hell. And you have, may have a lot of challenges in life. You may struggle physically on the outside, but your greatest challenge and greatest need is your sin that is unresolved and unforgiven. And let me say this. If you have a child, their greatest need is salvation. It's not clothes. It's not uh, equipment. It's not giftedness. It's not grades. It's salvation. And just because they were born into a Christian family and raised as a Christian home and church doesn't mean that they're automatically at peace with God. Unfortunately, some people grew up in the church and they are distant from God, more distant than people who've never known about him. And possibly it may be because parents never dealt with the soul issue, their, their child personally. But every person has to choose to follow Jesus and find salvation for themselves. And you as a parent, your greatest responsibility is to show Jesus to your child and lead them to Jesus. You're going to have help in our children's ministry, student ministry, but, but, but it really needs to start at home. So your number one ministry goal is, goal is to lead your child to Christ. Salvation is their greatest need above anything and anything, everything else. Secondly, your soul needs nourishment. Your soul needs to be nourished. It, you know, you can starve your soul to death. We spend a lot of time and energy worried about nutrition for our bodies. We worried about nutrition for our kids. We want to make them eat healthy. I hope you're one of those parents that makes your kids eat healthy things, even if they don't want them, you know, because they need that. The body needs to be healthy. We want to make sure that they're growing healthy, they're eating healthy meals, limiting junk food. But have you ever thought about nourishing your child's soul? Have you ever thought distinctly, how am I nourishing my child? The Bible is the greatest source of nourishment for our souls. We need God's word. We need to be fed with that. The Bible says things like this, you, Lord, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. The soul can be like that. It can be starved to death. And we have to nurse it. Nurse, we have to feed it. Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So the soul gets tired and weary. The soul gets dry, malnourished, and needs to be fed regularly. Every day we go into a world that isn't giving us any nourishment. In fact, it kind of sucks the, the strength out of our soul. It's, you know, it's a soulless world, so it kind of pulls all the joy out of our soul. And we need to recognize that we need to be giving ourselves nutrition for the soul. But we also send our kids into the world. And oftentimes we send them out with no nourishment for their souls. Almost like, good luck out there. It's a tough world. I hope you make it. I don't want to send my kids into a world like that. I want to send them into a place as much as possible that they're going to be equipped for. So I have to make sure that that happens at home if, uh, uh, if I take my responsibility seriously. Our souls need to be fed with the Word of God, with prayer, and with worship. We would not starve our children physically, but we can starve them spiritually. And that's on us. Our children need, also need to have nourishment from other believers in their life. People within the church family and church context 
Parenting is challenging, and, and our kids need other strong believers in their life, people that can pour into their life, coaches and youth workers that, that are pouring into their life, group leaders, to kind of reinforce what they tell them. We can tell them something, for some reason, another adult has more credibility than us at times when they reach those tough years. And so we need other people pouring into our kids' lives. And also provide an outlet for questions or struggles that they're not going to be comfortable bringing to us. And that happens sometimes. They're more comfortable, and we need to let, make sure that people will do that. I can remember a lot of teachers in my own childhood. When I think back when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, people that poured into my life and invested in me. And I can also think of a lot more people, because it's more recent, who invested in my children's life and helped to make them the kind of adults that they are. And that's one reason why I, I love our student ministry, and I appreciate so much what Zach does because my kids went through this ministry, and it helps to make them the kind of adults that they are today with the values, because people just poured into their life and invested in them. And if those people had not been in my children's life, they would have been robbed of a lot of nourishment, a lot of encouragement, a lot of you know, guidance as they grew up. So we need the church village, if you will, to help us grow our child's soul. The human soul is fed through a study of God's Word, discussion, application, dis you know, prayer and worship, meditation and solitude. And not only does that uh, nourish the soul, but it also kind of programs the soul according to God's Word. Not only does your child have a soul, but they kind of start with a blank slate. And you're going to pour into their life. You're going to invest in. You're going you're to write the values of the program of their life into your child's soul. And if you don't realize that it's your responsibility, somebody else is doing that. Hopefully somebody good, but maybe not always good. It, it could be someone else putting the whole different program, the wrong agenda into your child's life and soul. So it's your responsibility to, to do that. They need nourishment. Thirdly, the soul needs rest. The soul needs rest. Sometimes we become very weary with life. Sometimes we just get exalted with life. If we're not caring for our soul, and if we're not at peace with God, our soul can become exhausted Here's what Jesus said. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You will find rest for your soul because we all need that rest. The hectic pace at which most of us live our life, you know, can be exhausting to our body and our soul. And I think that's why God said that there should be a day of rest. It was called Sabbath in the Old Testament. The Bible said even God rested on the seventh day after his creation and for a lot of us, to be honest, it goes against our human tendency, and I have to plead guilty in this. I have a really difficult time sitting down and resting. I have a hard time doing that, and uh, I envy people who are able to do that a little easier. In fact, uh, I've experienced a lot of resting that I haven't enjoyed, to be honest with you, the last few months or weeks. And I think in the last few weeks, God's kind of shown me that uh, He can step in and force us to rest if we resist it. You know, the other day I was um, talking to an unchurched friend, and he just out of the blue, he suggested, you know, he said, you know, maybe this whole surgery was about God telling you to slow down and rest. That was kind of humbling to hear that from an unchurched friend, you know, that maybe had more perception about that than I do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be productive and active. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying we have to find that balance in life, quiet time with God, reading his word. If you don't if you don't stop any time in your day just to read the Word of God and just resting in God's peace, then you're robbing your soul of the nourishment that you need to the rest of the day. We could all do better at that probably. 
Do you have that time set apart for yourself? And do your children know that you have that time set apart for, your, for yourself? You know, when our kids were small, they knew that in the mornings, uh, while they were getting ready, that that was my quiet time. And uh, even before when they got up and, and while they were getting ready. And they knew that. And they knew where it was. They knew where my, my study, my Bible was. They knew that was my place. I think parents, your children need to know that. That you got time. You're spending time with God. And understand it's a, it's a value to you. How are you leading your children to find rest for their soul? Are they so busy with sports and activities, even their education, they don't have time to feed and rest their soul? No time. I mean, sometimes I remember, this is humbling. When you, I think back about this, very convicting. Think about what our schedule was like at times. Getting up, getting ready for school, coming home from school, going to practices, activities, doing things, exhausted you know, getting them uh, eating in the car or running through fast food or, or uh, going home and then we were just throwing everything together, getting homework, getting in bed. It's exhausting. And we're not doing our kids a favor when we do that, even though it may lead to some successes here. Really convicting uh, as I think about our parenting. I think there are three directions sometimes that we can focus our families and when it comes to importance. First of all, we can focus our families on what we want to do. And some parents do this, to be honest. We simply force our kids to do whatever we want. They run with us, do whatever we're doing. We don't think about their needs. And that can cause them to be resentful toward us. The second area is more familiar to us. It's called being kid-centric. That everything we do as a family or a couple focuses on our children and they want what they want to do. In our culture, uh, this is probably the most common approach. But what this does, it creates spoiled, exhausted, and frustrated children because things and activities don't really fully satisfy them. And when our kids grow up and they leave home, not only are they exhausted and not fed spiritually, but also they leave behind a couple of parents that, whose lives were fully, solely focused on the kids and there's nothing in the marriage. There's no connection because it was kid-centric. Or the third option, which is obviously the best, is that we can be God-centered. God-centered, finding a balance in all these things. If we and our children orbit around God, then everyone learns to find out their identity, their security, and their purpose in a relationship with God. And, uh, and it's important that we just kind of put that soul and our connection with God as a number one priority of family. Let, let me share with you uh, some very practical ways to cultivate the soul of your child as we kind of wrap up. And these are quick, and if you want to get a list, I'll send them to you or something. Can't write them down as quick. But number one, be in prayer for the soul of your child. Do you pray for your child's soul for their salvation? Regularly invite God through his Holy Spirit to be at work in your child's soul. Number two, teach your child that they have a soul that God made to have a forever relationship with him. Have that conversation with, with your child. You know, oftentimes we assume they know that, but maybe they don't. Help your child learn to pray in a loving, encouraging, and conversational way for themselves and others. Bedtime each night is a great time to form this daily habit. Number four, read the Bible with them when they're, when they're little. And as they get older, encourage them to read the Bible for themselves. It helps when the little kids, uh, uh, to help make them a, a fun time, not a boring time. But So this is memorable, but spend time in the, in the Bible. Number five, help your child learn to worship God by finding worship music they enjoy and letting them listen to it in the car, in the house, and throughout the day. You can find some songs that the kids can learn, but also help them memorize scripture. That's even better. This is a big thing. As much as kids are in the car, what, what are you listening to? 
You know, some of the stuff, if, if your kids were to sing back the songs that you're listening to, probably would be embarrassed, to be honest with you. Worship music is much, much better. I've kind of changed that myself in the last few years. Number six, raise a child in a healthy Bible-based church where they see other families growing in their love for the Lord. I love a lot of healthy scriptural <laughs> Christian peer pressure for our kids. That helped us a lot whenever the, the, the church and the home, we were focused together, youth group and ministry. That, that was awesome. Number seven, on the way home from church, ask the child what they learned and what their takeaway was. Listening carefully and asking a few questions, uh, a follow-up will help you draw out what their child is thinking. And you know, you can do that from this message. If your kid's with us in this, in this service, on the way home, so what do you think about what Randy said? Maybe it'll spark, whether you all agree or not, whatever you think about it. Number eight, keep a Bible at the dining room table. First of all, eat together. That's one big thing. But keep it at the table. Read a verse or two over dinner. Then have a free-flowing conversation about what that means. Let everybody in the family be involved in the discussion. Stop to pray for people and things as needed. Number nine, when you're wrong, confess your own sin to the child, showing that your soul also belongs to God, and that acknowledging wrongdoing is a healthy thing for big people and little people as well. And number 10, as God the Holy Spirit brings things to memory, share with your child parts of your testimony. Have you ever told your child about growing up uh, and knowing the Lord or when you gave your life to the Lord if you didn't grow up in the church? Let them know the ways that God has changed you and protected you and cared for your soul. You know, I hope that this morning you have maybe had an area of your life opened up to consider that there's more than what we see at the moment. But the soul really is the most important part of our life. And I think that's why this struck me. I've been preaching a long time, but I don't know that I ever really grasped this point significantly as clearly as I have during this study. So in closing, let me ask you, how is your soul? Let's stop talking about kids for a second and ask, how is your soul, your connection with God? And if it's good, how is your child's soul? Let me just say this. You can't lead someone to a place you've not been yourself. You simply can't do it. And so parents ought to always be leading ahead of their kids in a lot of things, but nowhere more importantly than in their walk with the Lord. In just a few moments, uh, we're going to share in a song, and it's, it's a beautiful song, and uh, it's going to bring back a lot of memories to a lot of people, but it's, it's going to touch, I believe, every heart, our choir. That's why we ask them to come today, because I, I just love this song, but it, but it really asks about your soul's condition. And the song, it, it is well with my soul, and I hope that you can sing that song with the, with, you know, honestly and, and make that declaration. If you can't, then I want to challenge you to do something about it, and today would be the day. You know, the Bible talks about having a clear conscience toward God, a clear conscience. And we might be holding some things back, but today would be a great day to release that and just come clean and, and be, be honest with God. And so um, I'm going to be up front. I know Humero is going to step up. Zach, maybe you can be over here and be available. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you talk about what your first step or your next step might be on your spiritual journey. We'd love to do that. If you want to come up this morning and pray and you just want to worship, uh, just step forward. We, we'd love to have you come up here and fill this place as we worship the Lord. Let's pray together right now. Father, we just come to you.
And Lord, of all the important topics that we could ever discuss, there is none more important than the one that we've talked specifically about today. Father, to think that every human being who's ever been born has a soul. God, to think that we have a soul, the gift that you've given us, that we're, we are a soul with a human body. And that, Lord, that soul will return back to you at the end of our life or the end of time. And that soul will stand before you, God, to be judged. And it will not matter at all how successful we've been on this earth, what we've accumulated, um, awards, uh, abilities, positions. God, none of those things will matter as our soul stands bare before you, God. So, Lord, I pray this morning that we can truly say with this song, it is well with my soul. We can acknowledge that, declare that with honesty, and that, God, we're our soul to be demanded of us today, that we would be in your presence, and there we would be forever in worship for eternity. Lord, we worship you today through this, and we lift up your name in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.